0: Abolition. Abolition.
1: Today. How you doing, my brother? I'm fantastic. Having fun. Absolutely. Feel it's, good. It's path forward. It's path forward. I,
2: all, folks are uh, apoplectic, upset, mad, angry. See.
1: Anytime you vote for the lesser of the two evils, you evil yourself. That's how Hitler came to power. Okay? We don't see that. But you got to be evil. Here's a guy rapes a woman once a month. Another guy rapes a woman. Once again, you got to pick one to babysat for you, you're evil. And that's what America, that's how Hitler came to power. See, few people know Hitler won that election by 288, (laughs) okay, and almost wiped the world out. And you can get by with that with the church, but you can't get by with that with the universe that made the moon, the sun, and the stars, and that's where we are. You got people who are concerned in terms
2: of where do we go from here. You
1: don't go nowhere. It's not your business. It's hmm. not your business. If, 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 if Trump, if you ever saw Trump's television shows, brilliant. So how do you get so stupid all at once? Hmm? If I went to apply for a job collecting garbage, they would ask me to bring in my last year's tax return. You run know, for president, You don't have to bring this in. And y'all tolerate it and don't know where it's going. Hmm? That's what it's about. That's what it's about.
2: What do you say to that activist, to that young person, to that elder who's saying, okay, what do I do for the next four years? You can
1: do nothing. You're not going to make four years. This country is going to make four years. It's over. Now when you say it's over, what does that mean? It means decline. The Romans, the Greeks, the Egyptians, all of them fell. Okay? All of them fell. You
2: see it. So what should we do? So Jim over here talks about
3: the resistance. Please. They had a resistance with, uh, with even going against Hitler.
1: Please. <laughs> the Jews didn't know what Hitler was doing. Okay. Our problem is we think we part of this government. You're not.
4: You're not. You're not. Oh, I am a good old rebel. Now that's just what I am. And for this Yankee Nation I do not give a damn. I'm glad I fought again, I only wish we won. I ain't asked any pardon for anything I've done. I hate the Yankee Nation and everything they do. I hate the Declaration of Independence too. I hate hate the the glorious glorious Union, tis dripping with our blood. I hate the striped banner, I fit it all I could. I rode with Robert E. Lee for three years thereabout Got wounded in four places and I started at Point Lookout I caught the rheumatism a camping in the snow But I killed a chance of Yankees and I'd like to kill some more 300,000 Yankees is stiff in southern dust We got 300,000 before they conquered us They died of southern fever and southern steel and shot I wish they were three million instead of what we got I can't take up my musket and fight them now no more But I ain't gonna love them now that a certain sure And I don't want no pardon for what I was and am I won't be reconstructed and I do not give a damn Oh, I'm a good old rebel, now that's just what I am for the Yankee nation I do not give a damn. I'm glad I fought again her. I only wish we'd won. I ain't asked any pardon for anything I've done. I ain't asked any pardon for anything I've done.
5: Abolition day.
2: You just heard Abolition. Dick Gregory speaking about the new evil, followed up with "Oh God, oh I'm a good old rebel" by Hoyt Axton. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central. Five Mountain, and Four Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I am broadcasting live from the Paul Cuffee Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthis. Peace, Max.
0: Peace, Brother Yusuf, and I can say that right to your face this time. Uh, It's good to be here at the PCAC with you and Brother Tag Harmon. Peace, peace.
6: Yeah.
2: So last week we called out the blatant hypocrisy of U.S. elected officials, and frankly we were sick and tired of it. It's the same old song over and over. Everything is called slavery, but slavery, a big school of red herrings to chase while they rename and redesign issues from COVID, self-isolation, to Roe v. Wade as slavery. They are actually practicing real slavery on you and me, us and ours. Then, to put the crit to the hypocrite, they have the audacity to point fingers at other nations doing far less than what America is doing right now. So make sure you check out that archive from last week where we taught you The Three Steps to Becoming a Hypocrite. This week, three abolitionist Yankees met in in Sumter, South Carolina. It's not the start of a joke. It's today's reality. Max Tag and myself are broadcasting live from the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, not far from where the first shots rang out to begin the Civil War. So with that in mind, we're going to talk about Reconstruction, Yankees, Carpetbaggers, and Scalawags, what those labels mean and how they connect to today's slavery abolitionist movement. We'll also discuss the five-state solution proposed by the Republic of New Africa. We have some epic news to share. Another state is on the table to end slavery in 2022. That brings us to the grand total of six states but constitutional slavery abolition can become a reality in 2022. When When we are successful on November 8th, that will make a total of 10 states who have explicitly abolished slavery without exception for the first time in U.S. history. We'll tell you all about it. And of course, there's music, there's poetry, and we'll be bridging the gap by bringing the ancestors' words back to life for a new generation. So before we jump off into all of that, Max, take it away.
0: Oh, man, you got to stop shouting at me, all right? <laughs> be here, right We're not even close. We're bringing up you right in front of each other. Uh, but first of all, I want to comment on the opening track, uh, Brother Dick Gregory, followed by the uh, Rebel Anthem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those two were put together for a number of reasons. First of all, what Dick Gregory said about if you have to choose between the two the lesser of two evils, then you're evil. Uh, and the analogy he gave saying, you know, you got a guy who rapes a woman once a month, and you got a guy who rapes a woman once a day, and you're supposed to pick which one's going to babysit for you, then you're evil because you're picking a rapist to, to babysit for you. So I thought that was very powerful. Also, there was a little bit of... Potential misinformation in there, Uh, you might have heard me uh, put a corrective word in the track. Uh, Brother Gregory said that Hitler uh, won by 288 votes, but it was actually 288 seats. It was over 10 million people that voted, and they got like 30% of the vote. The next runner-up was uh, like 130 seats or so like that. Uh, So I just want to make sure that that correct information got out. Um, And then he made a prediction he said in 2016 that's when that was recorded while he was still alive uh he said that America wouldn't last beyond 2020 he's like you you're going to see the end of it and you know to a degree uh, i guess the decline he mentioned has been witnessed especially with the coup that happened on January 6th. uh so that was why i played that and then uh right behind it you hear who we're dealing with in their own words they hate the constitution they hate the union they hate the country, they hate the flag, and they ain't going to love no Negroes. Uh, they might not have to, put the mus- have to put the musket down and not shoot them, but they ain't going to love them, that's for sure. Isn't that what you said? So that's what so that's who we're dealing with, you know? And one of the things that they also hate <laughs> is the titles in our program, which is uh, Yankees, Carpetbaggers, and Scallywags. And we have some information that's going to break that all down for you, but we represent the Yankees right here, <laughs> you know? Sure. For sure. So like, I'm here from Patterson, New Jersey. I've been here 23 years. You said?
2: So I just relocated from uh, New Jersey and now
6: live in Charlotte, North Carolina.
0: And Brother Tag? Yes, yes.
6: yeah. usually uh, rep in the New York City area out here in the CAC-A-LAC, uh once again and, and just embracing the air out here and, and greatly respect what's going on at the PCAC, of course. See what I
0: mean? You got all these Yankees up in here,
6: <laughs> and you know it's it's a
0: trend that's happening. I know a lot of people here in South Carolina that are from New Jersey, from New York, uh, from Connecticut, from all up north. You know, uh, and they've been migrating down here, and that's also one of the reasons why later on today we'll talk about uh, how we can benefit from this type of migration. How how can it help us? And that's the five state solution proposed by. The Republic of New Africa. Um, I did want to give a, an announcement right off the bat, and just in case Brother uh, Kenneth Glasgow is on the line, please press one on your keypad so that we know it's you. Um, and I say that because we have six states on the ballot right now. Uh, well, it's actually it's not six on the ballot. We have five on the ballot and a joint resolution from Florida. Florida has. Senate joint resolution 392, which means that during the next general election, the House and the Senate get to vote on this resolution, which will insert anti-slavery language into the Florida state constitution, declaring that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall be allowed even as a punishment for a crime. So uh, Florida joins the Freedom Five. And now we're going to have to move on to what? The Super Six? <laughs> the Super Six. Let me look over here. Yeah, I see a hand up. So that's Brother Kenneth Glasgow. As a matter of fact, let me go ahead and bring him in, all right? It may not be him. Uh, it might not be him. but we, It might not be him, but we've got a hand up. Uh, number is 8762. You're on abolition today. Who are we speaking to? Oh, hey, this is Kerr just
7: calling in. I'm calling really- in. So you, you <laughs> hey, can wrong but i'm
2: in i'm ready hey corinne how
7: you doing oh hey brother yusuf i'm well i'm very well thank you so much i'm packing hard at work moving on to new books not chapters new books
2: <laughs> so what's, what's going on up in uh vermont i know you all have uh prop two that's on the ballot you're one of the six states that we're talking about you have any updates to give us on Prop 2 up in your area?
7: Yeah. um, So we meet every Thursday, those that are committed. Um, We want to hopefully grow the Zoom calls. Um, We want to have all types of people from all types of industries, all types of voters, um, part of our Thursday group that we do. We have a problem. <laughs> I believe so. Houston, we have a problem. Um, so it looks like Burlington is where a lot of the campaigning is happening. I'm seeing that as a dilemma, because as far as I know, Vermont has to vote for um, Prop 2. So I, my push right now is to get all state, all Vermont counties to recognize what's happening. Um, I went to boarding school in southern Vermont. So I'm reconnecting with people down in southern Vermont, letting them know what's going on. I know that Black Lives Matter Vermont the or NAACP and Black Lives Matter Vermont is in Southern Vermont. So hopefully they are connecting with the people in Burlington so it can be a statewide thing. Um so far that's the main issue so I, I remain hopeful. Um I remain that the, um hopeful because I think that the people who are looking for our votes, our elected officials um, at some point will be put on the spot to see where they stand on Prop 2, such as Bernie Sanders and uh, who else? Molly Gray, Becca Bell. I mean, these are major names, and we're doing something major too, so we should <laughs> be friends and get along, you know, or at least pass Prop 2.
0: <laughs> I was literally telling the same thing to Mark Hughes earlier today, that uh, Bernie Sanders needs to make a statement on this. Um, And it would make all the difference in the world uh, for them to be able to speak up on it. Vermont is one of the uh, five free five that we have, uh, which is Vermont, Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee, and Oregon uh, are all on the ballot so that voters in those states can decide for themselves whether or not they want legalized slavery in their constitutions. And Vermont stands out. Vermont stands out particularly because they're the grandfather of exception clauses. That's where it all began with Vermont. If they had not incorporated that language, uh, there's no telling whether or not anybody else would have thought about it later on. Right. And uh, as years went by, it was ex- uh, continually exploited until here we are today with the largest prison population to have ever existed on planet Earth. Music.
2: Absolutely. And I see we have another hand raised. Uh, 8222. You're now on Abolition Today with Max Parthis, Tag Harmon, and Yusuf Hassan. Welcome to the show.
8: Max Tag, Yusuf. Reverend Mark Hughes from Vermont. Holla at your boy.
0: (laughs) Hey,
2: so Vermont is heavy in the building right now.
0: Speaking of devil,
2: (laughs) the Reverend
8: Mark Hughes.
0: Uh, Yeah, we were just saying. I just
8: wondered, right? right? Go ahead, Max.
0: Yeah, we were just saying earlier, you and I, talking about Bernie Sanders, needs to make a statement on this. It could make a, a big difference in the the efforts that you guys are doing, the historic, monumental, heroic efforts that you're involved in. There's absolutely
5: well, part no of the reason, reason
0: why Bernie not say anything.
8: Go ahead. Part of the reason why Bernie's probably so silent is, you know, it's, it's, I think it's ingrained in the fabric of the – just the psyche of the state, you know, because here you do realize we were the first state to abolish slavery, right?
0: Lies, Lies. I'm lying. I'm just
8: joking, man. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> but 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 I'm but I'm just telling you. I'm I'm saying that's a that's a hard one. To, that's a hard one to get around, you know. And and uh, you know when you even you look at the tone and the tenor that's coming out of you know our. Uh, Press here in the state and and that indeed came out of the legislature and how they speak about this thing It's like it's more like what they're um, Portraying it as is that an effort just to make some some clarification in this document Um, But there could be nothing further from the truth. I think I think Bernie will probably come around at some point and, and say something and Maybe some others and we'll um, looking continue to, you know, to uh, apply that pressure as necessary. There is nothing wrong with a little agitation every now and then. And, and regarding, and regarding the, you know, the, the the rest of the state, you know, we're, you know, we've got, you know, we we do have statewide outreach uh, to Corinne's point, and I just want to make sure that it's, it's clear we'll com- we'll continue to to work with these uh, other organizations across the state. But um, you, you realize that the Vermont Interfaith Action is a is a state that represents 70 congregations across the state, and there's uh, 16,000 folks there, and we've got a 3,000-person mailing list. We'll continue to beat away at this thing as we move um, up to and through uh, the primaries. But anyway, I want to talk about scallywags and carpetbaggers, Uh, so I'm glad (laughs) to be
0: on today, and let's get this thing going. You know, that is actually a good idea. Uh, Let's go ahead and give a quick lesson on exactly what a carpetbagger and a scallywag is uh, So we're going to read Or we're going to play a clip from It's called Carpet Baggers and Scallywags Reconstruction From Daily Bellringer You're listening to Abolition Today AbolitionToday.org And we'll be right back after this
3: Abolition, Abolition. Today. Today we're looking at Abolition. Carpet Baggers and Scallywags In the aftermath of the Civil War, the United States entered into a time period known as Reconstruction, as the nation attempted to rebuild itself after four years of bloody fighting. The Southern economy was left in ruins after the war, and with the passage of the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery, the cornerstone of much of their economy, the forced labor of enslaved people, was gone. Carpetbagger was the name white southerners gave to northerners that moved into the south after the war motivated by economic opportunity or to make profit and gain control of land. Many times these northerners carried cheaply made bags made from carpet. The term carpetbagger is actually a derogatory term and by that I mean a name given or title given to someone that is meant to be disrespectful or express anger towards that person. White southerners viewed carpetbaggers as basically corrupt, low-class businessmen, there only to take advantage of the South's misfortune after the war was over. Although this might have been the case for some northerners that came to the South, most were actually well-educated, middle-class northerners that came to the South in hopes of helping rebuild and create unity after the war. Many were former Union soldiers and were merchants or teachers or were working for the Freedmen's Bureau attempting to ensure rights for former enslaved people. As the Civil War came to a close, the 13th Amendment was passed abolishing slavery and then soon after other amendments were added extending more rights to former enslaved African Americans. These efforts were led by Republicans in Congress, many times referred to as the Radical Republicans. Former enslaved people who had just been given voting rights overwhelmingly voted for Republicans in elections, and many African-American candidates were voted into various political offices, state legislatures, and into Congress. Southern state legislatures were soon controlled by the Republican Party. Carpetbaggers were almost exclusively supporters of the Republican Party and their reform efforts. To most white Southerners, supporting the Republican Party and their efforts to extend rights to African-Americans and reform the South was a despicable act. Opposition to the Republican Party in the South by white Southerners was very intense. However, there were some white Southerners that supported the Republican Party and their efforts to change the South. These white Southerners were called scalawags by other whites in the South, another derogatory term. Many Scalawags were Southerners that remained loyal to the Union throughout the Civil War, some even serving in the Union Army. Interestingly, despite agreeing with much of the reform efforts and extending rights to African Americans, most Scalawags still held racist values and did not believe African Americans should be given any political control. Much of their motivation was to simply keep former Confederates from regaining power. To the majority of white southerners, scalawags were viewed even worse than carpetbaggers as they saw scalawags as being traitors to the southern way of life and their racist ideology. Although scalawags were only thought to make up about 20% of the southern white population, between the years of 1867 to 1869, many were able to win political offices along with many carpetbagger candidates. And for a very brief time, southern state legislatures were controlled by African Americans and Republicans that were pushing forward reform efforts in the South. Unfortunately, many white Southerners that supported their Republican reform efforts eventually went over to what became known as the Democratic Redeemers, which were the southern wing of the Democratic Party. These Democrats regained control of state legislatures and began to put back in place laws that discriminated against African Americans and integrated racist policies. Anger over carpetbaggers, scalawags, and reform efforts in the South, of course, led to the formation of racist organizations such as the Ku Klux Klan that attempted to stop reform efforts and not allow equal rights for African Americans. The KKK used intimidation, violence, and murder to attempt to stop reform efforts across the South. With the election of 1876 and new policies by President Rutherford B. Hayes, the Reconstruction period came to an end. But unfortunately, it left a legacy of discrimination and unfair treatment of African Americans across the South. Abolition. 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 Abolition.
9: Abolition. Abolition. Abolition.
2: Abolition. You just heard Carpetbaggers and Scalawags, the Reconstruction from the Daily Bell Ringer. Welcome back to Abolition Today with Max Parthas, Yusuf Hassan, and Tag Harmon. So before I jump into us uh, giving our feedback, just want to bring everyone up to uh, par on something that uniquely happened today. So every week, we do a write-up of our show. We, we do our planning page. We have everything, the title, our articles that we're using. And so today, we put up our posts as normal in our planning group, Yankees, Carpetbaggers, and Scalawags. And of course, Facebook determined that it went against company policy to use these terms and wanted to prevent us from being able to bring this information to you. But we found a way around it, you know. And we'll definitely uh, call Facebook out on that. So I want to pass it to. Uh, let's go, Max. You want to go first on this one?
0: Uh, let's give Tag a to chance on the information that you heard because you know you're, you're also here as an intern right um taking some uh learning some uh things about what we do in our linguistics mm. our utterances
2: mm-hmm. okay
6: Jack.
0: so let's see We're yes again anthropology right
6: yes yes uh, speaking of some of these questions it does uh, if you're if you're able to hear me, it does it does strike as interesting some of the etymology behind this this term Yankee. Uh, I don't I wasn't aware of, of some of uh, what they're citing here. This is a free etymology dictionary they have online. It's called etymonline.com, and it says that Yankee is a noun, 1683, a name applied disparagingly by Dutch settlers in New Amsterdam or New York to English colonists in neighboring Connecticut. Uh, they're saying that it may have been from the Dutch uh, Janke, literally Little John, diminutive of common personal name Jan. Uh, and it goes on from there. So just thought that that was... Some... Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> little hmm <junky>. Little Janky. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: All right, no doubt. I'm gonna go ahead and pass it over to Brother Mark Hughes. You had that question. You said you wanted to know about carpetbaggers and scallywags. Well, you just heard all about them from Daily Bell Ringer. What do you think?
8: Yeah, nice, nice piece there. I appreciate y'all for that. Uh, really nice piece. Uh, super rich too. Lots of, lots of information in there. And I, when I think about, um, and that one of the reasons why I wanted to hop on here with y'all is because I was thinking about. That language and Max, you know, just transparently, we, we were, you and I, we were talking this morning about just Facebook and all that nonsense that went with it, and the fact that these terms are, um, I guess, offensive or something like that. But I think it's also erasure if you think about it, because if if you're not having conversations about these terms and you're not having conversations about Reconstruction, you're not having conversations about. You know what really went down in the south and you can't understand what's going on today across uh, the United States where we have a, a carpetbagger by the name of Dr. Oz uh, that came out of uh, uh, came out of Jersey and, and went over into uh, Philadelphia I believe it was yep. Senate, and, and we can and it, and it don't just happen on that side because you know you know don't forget about Hillary but we'll come back to that Um one of the things that I was thinking about as you were reading it in some of the research that I did and admittedly I only started looking at this stuff once we started talking about it. So I'm no by no stretch of the imagination, you know, studied or well versed in this, but it, it did occur to me that, um in in my, you know, limited research that fifty two of the sixty uh fifty two of the sixty legislators, uh, the folks, I think they were all House representatives um, that we were considered to be um, scallywags, uh, carpetbaggers, rather. Um,
5: uh, They were
8: black. They were black. So um, these, these brothers, they came from the north and and got elected, uh, got elected into the United States uh, legislature. Uh, just, you know, just because of their commitment to what it was uh, for change, and I ain't trying to steal no thunder down there, but, but um, you know, it probably probably will speak a little bit to that five-state solution. But, you know, definitely that whole business about folks, you know, black folks coming from the north and getting involved politically in the south uh, was instrumental, if you will, in the building of, the, of power uh, in the South, uh, from the, from that period of about 1865 to 1877, where we know that
1: those, what I call them,
8: um, the, the, the magic 12 years, but that's really the, probably about the only years that this nation ever realized anything close, uh, to, uh, justice. Um, uh, but it was definitely as a result, um, you know, there were other things that was going down, but those 52 brothers that came down there, um, they, they contributed heavily to, um, you know,
0: our advancement as a nation. I see we have another hand up. Uh, I want to bring it in, but let me make some comments as well. Uh, listening to the definition that he described, there's some things I want to point out. One is that this was a, a slur that was being used. There were people coming here, but as you pointed out, Mark, they were coming to help. Ten uh, percent of the population of black people in the United States were called Freemen and they lived out in the North. Uh, The other 90% were caught up in slavery in the South. And so those people who had already learned what it was like to be free to some degree and what was needed would come down as teachers, as nurses, as doctors, as uh, uh, all different kind of carpenters and construction workers to try to help to rebuild what was left of the South. But you heard what he said during uh, his description, the daily bell ringer, he said they saw anybody coming to reform the South as despicable. Like, how dare you come down here and agitate our Negroes, <laughs> who we are trying to control and are hard enough to do that without you. So they would come down and uplift, and the Southerners hated all of that, and they hated the people that dared to do it. And even the scalawags, uh, which – only applied to white people, but applied to white people who were living in the South even during the Civil War and then working with the Union to help these Negroes who uh, they had been freed against the wishes of the Southern plantation owners and the Confederate in general. Uh, So, and and also, (coughs) excuse me, sorry. Uh, Also, uh, as you mentioned, a lot of people came from the North already Experienced to some degree in politics to come down here and show black southerners how they could really take advantage of this radical republicanism that allowed them to have stake in their own communities, to make, have their voices be heard as politicians and voters. But it also ended up with the Redeemers and then the KKK coming up out of Tennessee, uh, born in Tennessee, who uh, decided the best way to stop all of that was to start murdering people, lynching them, burning their houses, threatening their families until uh, they got just about every black politician out of office. There was a time here in South Carolina where 50% of the Congress were black men, a full 50% during that Reconstruction period. And then now we only have a couple. So, yes, absolutely. So let's go ahead and bring in our next caller. Uh, that's o three nine o. You want to open this line? Can you hear me? O three nine o. Yeah, we can hear you. Who are you? It's Sharon. Oh, hey Sharon. Hey, Sharon. I, I just
10: want to uh, add another etymology for the word Yankee. Okay. When I was living in Wampanoag land up in Massachusetts, the Wampanoag people taught me that the word Yankee is derived from the Wampanoag word Yankee, which means thief, and that they were calling the colonists thieves in their language, and during the Revolutionary War, uh, when the colonists were fighting against the British for their, quote-unquote, freedom, they knew that the Native folk called them Yankees. so they started calling themselves proudly Yankees, and that's a different story.
2: Yeah, no, we appreciate that. Uh, can you give a spelling of that word?
10: Uh, Yankee. Uh, that's Y-A-N-G as in girl E-E, and then the Yankee. colonists picked it up and started calling themselves Yankees.
0: So it meant thief.
10: Yes, it means thief in in <laughs> the in the Albanian language of the East Coast. Uh, Eastern coastal tribe.
0: That sounds a little bit more of what they were trying to describe when they were calling Yankees. Go home, Yankee.
2: Yeah, not,
10: not little John.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds it sounds more. Yeah, but they, didn't,
10: they, they didn't know they didn't know what it meant. But it's a Wampanoag word um, that was adopted by the the Sons of Liberty
6: up in Massachusetts. No doubt. Well, great looks on the sister Sharon, and, and just to add uh, a bit more from that same site, and of course we 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 should always take uh, what what any of these etymology uh, references are saying, you know, with with our own due, dil- due diligence, you know, uh, across the board. Um, but further down it says a less likely theory attested by 1832 is that it represents some southern New England Algonquin language mangling of English. In English, a term of contempt, et cetera, et cetera. So it has a few different theories about the origins. So uh, I'm, I'm inclined to go with, with what what you were uh,
10: presenting. I'm just sharing what I was taught by the Wampanoag people, that the word thief in their language is really here.
2: Oh, I that's mean, I that's, yeah, that's that's <laughs> great information. I mean, this is the purpose of us searching uh, etymology of words, you know, because we can get all kinds of information from it, you know, because words, you know, they may derive in one particular area, but people may use it differently depending on where they are. I wanted to also mention something that you were talking about, Max, when it talked about, uh, you know, when these, carpetbaggers and scalawags were helping blacks get into politics and started taking over. You mentioned South Carolina. We can't forget the Wilmington massacre of 1898 when the city of Wilmington was basically almost the entire government, black, African-American, whichever term we want to use and how, yeah, Negroes at the time, Negroes and how the so-called white supremacists, you know, basically murdered the entire government and took over the government. It was a, a coup right on the entire government of the city of Wilmington in 1898.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, they did a coup and this was after reconstruction. Right. 1898, um, reconstruction, you said, I guess you were echoing Du Bois, you know, where he said that the, the slave, um, Walked free for like a day or something like that, and then went back into slavery. Do you remember that specific quote?
5: I don't. I don't have the. He,
0: he got freedom. He walked into the sun, and then went right back into slavery. It's so it's, a, it's just paraphrasing it, uh, but that was the period that they were talking about. Because immediately following it, as we talk about on this program often, convict leasing kicked in, the Black Codes, the Pig Laws, uh, racial discrimination, systemic racism, Jim Crow. And all of these things that uh, pushed them back into enslavement, whether through peonage uh, with things like sharecropping or uh, debt peonage, uh, which they used a lot, and just plain old criminalization. We was watching a documentary the other day, uh, Slave State, which I happen to be in (laughs) with uh, Brother Curtis Davis, and they were talking about it there where they said sometimes when they knew in advance that Uh, a company was coming in looking for laborers to rent from the prison, you would see arrests go up just right before that. So it wasn't because anybody was doing anything wrong. It was that Tennessee and coal and iron was coming in, and they needed 50 bodies. And so they would go out and arrest 50 or 60 people in order to uh, make that available to them. So
2: just wanted to cover what you were mentioning about W.E.B. Du Bois. And him speaking on Reconstruction, he said the slave went free, stood a brief moment in the sun, then moved back again towards slavery. And so we know that just as you were talking about convict leasing, and we know Frederick Douglass's position on it, that this was this new brand of slavery, as Frederick Douglass mentioned it. So that definitely covers it right there. And, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking back to... Uh, Hoyt Axton's song I'm a Good Old Rebel where he says I refuse to be reconstructed. Right. You know They didn't want this reconstruction Because of the benefit that it had for them They wanted to do this Forever there was never any intent You know for Civil rights or any of these things And even moving forward You know just thinking of uh, The three Who were murdered in the south uh, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman and uh, Michael Schwerner, you know, in the '60s, you know, the three young gentlemen uh, from uh, Congress of Racial Equality, you know, it was the same thing. They were going down, and this was about their campaigns, you know, about stopping the bombings of black churches in the South. And this this uh, this resistance to reconstruction continued, and it continues all the way up to this day. If we can just look at Ahmed Arbery's murder. You know, just the mere fact that they said, you know, he didn't have the right to be in their neighborhood, and that's why they murdered him, chased him down and murdered him. You know, so it's like they never changed from having this resistance to Reconstruction. Max?
0: Yes, and that resistance is still alive today. But as we mentioned earlier, a lot of people are moving here to the South, Uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. Louisiana, um, Alabama, uh, mm-hmm. just because uh, they're sick and tired of what's happening in the north, just like we were, you know. It, right. it's, it just gotten horrible where uh, I, I couldn't even imagine raising another generation under this insanity that we had to exist under. Uh, and so much open space and land for a person to be able to exist Clean in. Air. Clean air. Mm-hmm. You know, so why not? We'll talk more about that in detail later on. Uh, what I want to do real quick is if there's – See if there's any other comments from our callers If not, we'll get into our next track In regards to Carpetbaggers and scalawags. So anybody have any comments? Alright, awesome uh, We're going to get into Professor Eric Foner And he has uh, a series that he did Called Carpetbaggers The Civil War and Reconstruction 1865 to 1890 uh, This is going to be Followed by a reenactment Of Harriet Tubman uh, from Redirecting Proverbs 31, School of Wisdom, uh, Part 31, S-O-W. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. I'm here with Yusuf Hassan and Brother Tag Harmon, and we'll be right back after this. Abolition Abolition Today. The Abolition. other issue, which is, I talk a little about it in
9: my book, that I think is very interesting is the question to, to take a modern term and re- read it back 150 years where it doesn't belong but people have done it a kind of black nationalism what was the consciousness was it a race consciousness i think the answer is no i think that among african-american voters ordinary people the the notion of equal citizenship sort of transcended race in a way you couldn't transcend race it was everywhere but People like, the, the classic example is Martin Delaney, remember the abolitionist before the war, then emigrationist, nation within a the nation, then civil war, soldier. And he comes down of South Carolina and he tries to get elected to office on a race platform. Do not vote for white people, do not vote for carpetbaggers. do not vote for scalawags. Only blacks can represent blacks. Don't believe these school teachers, ministers from the north, they don't tell the truth. Remember that it was the black soldiers that, that freed the slaves, not Lincoln, etc. He gives you, what, you know, this is a strand of African-American thought all the way through. But he never gets elected to anything. And in fact, in one, you know, he writes this letter, I quote, to, the, to a black newspaper in the North complaining how ignorant the African-Americans in South Carolina are because they don't see the necessity of just voting on a racial line. I went into the countryside and I received the angry rejoinder, he says, we don't want to hear that. We are all one color now. It is an engine. We are all one color. What they mean is in terms of rights, in terms of rights, we are all one color now. They believed that the Constitution had been, this is Delaney, had been purged of color by a radical Congress. So." This, was, this is a moment when African Americans, you have this kind of odd tension on the one hand in their religious life there's this separation into autonomous institutions. But in political life the, the thrust is toward inclusion. It's not emigration. people are not saying let's go to Africa, let's go to Central America, let's go to Haiti. No, that'll come back after Reconstruction, but now it's full inclusion as equal citizens of the new United, the United States, whose constitution has been, quote, purged of color. But there's also a very practical element to this. They're smart enough to know that an all-black government is not going to get very far in this country. You must have white allies. It's not just a question of votes, it's a question of kind of respectability in the north. You need to have an interracial coalition. So that leads us to the question of what whites are willing to Cooperate or take part in reconstruction government along with the African American voters, and of course the two groups we can we talk about are the first off are these carpetbaggers. Okay, here's a carpetbag. What is a carpetbag? It's a it's a little valise, it's a little uh, backpack, except you carry it around. It's made out of carpeting. I mean literally, that's it's sort of old carpeting, and that's what a carpetbag is. Okay, that's where the name comes from. The idea is, people, white people in the North, as many you will find this phrase in many of these old books, put all their belongings into a carpet bag and went south. What are you trying to say if they put all their belongings into a carpet bag? Obviously, they didn't have all that much, unless they're carrying gold bullion around. In other words, it's not just that they're from the north; it's they're poor. They're the dregs of northern society. They threw their few belongings into a carpet bag and went to the south. Why? To reap the spoils of office, to enrich themselves by manipulating the ignorant former slaves. Okay, that's the image of the uh, of the carpetbaggers um, in the typical story. And as I've said, well. Here's Bowers, the, you know, fanatical anti-Reconstruction. Left to themselves, the Negroes would have turned for leadership to local whites who knew them the best. This was the danger to Republicans. It was imperative they should be taught to hate, and teachers of hate were plentiful. The carpet beggars are teachers of hate. They come down to try to set the blacks against their for they would have gone along with their former owners who knew them best, but the carpetbaggers kind of inter, intervene, it, insert themselves there. So they're poor, they're unscrupulous, they manipulate the black vote to gain office. Now, carpetbagger is a political term, a purely political. It's not just geographical. White people who came to the South and aligned with the Democrats were not called carpetbaggers. Whites who had nothing to do with politics and maybe just went down to start up a business were not called carpet. You were a carpetbagger if you were a Northerner who allied yourself with the Republican Party and defended the new constitutional rights of African Americans.
11: I freed a thousand slaves. And I could have freed a thousand more if they only knew they were slaves. As I've come up through the pages of history into today's time, I can see the condition of my people done got worse. Ain't no respect for elders like me no more. There was a time back in the day where all I had to do Say the word. And the younger generations, they did what they were told. Or they were dealt with. You weren't on the same page as Harriet. You were left behind. Now I see today even the elders. Those who should have took my place. They're just as bad as the youngins no respect no culture no appreciation for what we had to go through what we had to endure I see my people trying to be just like the people we were running from trying to fit right in I don't think they know who these people are
0: Worse yet, they
11: don't
2: know who they are. Abolition, Abolition. today, today. You just heard Professor Eric Foner, carpetbaggers, the Civil War and Reconstruction, eighteen sixty-five to eighteen ninety, and that was followed by the Harriet Tubman reenactment, redirecting Proverbs thirty-one, School of Wisdom, Part thirty-one, SOW. Welcome back to Abolition Today with Max Parthas, Tag Harmon, and myself, Yusuf Hassan. Uh, I will pass it to the the oh. anthropologist, the linguistic anthropologist first,
0: Tag Harmon. Hey, just real quick, if uh, Brother Cla- uh, Glasscow
6: is on the line, remember to press one
0: uh, so that we know you're there and we'll bring you in. N-
6: no doubt. So in keeping with continuing some questions around origins and and questions of of how that shapes discussions around abolitionism and and enslavement. We did look back at Du Bois's Black Reconstruction and uh, where it discusses, uh, quote, carpetbaggers. So I have a couple paragraphs here uh, if we could read through that, so uh, it writes and th- so and this is um, this is in the chapter called "The Price of Disaster," which is chapter nine of Black Reconstruction. One cannot study reconstruction without first frankly facing the fact of universal lying of deliberate and unbounded attempts to prove a case and with a dispute and preserve economic Mastery and political domination by besmirching the character, motives, and common sense of every single person who dared disagree with the dominant philosophy of the white South. The campaign of slander against, quote, carpetbaggers rose to a climax which included every northern person who defended the Negro and every northern person in the South who was connected with the Army or Freedmen's Bureau or with the institutions of learning, or who admitted the right of the Negro to vote or defended him in any way. It was the general, almost universal belief that practically without exception, these people were liars, jailbirds, criminals, and thieves, uh, and the hatred of them rose to a crescendo of curses and filth. Um, Later, this universal attack upon the carpetbaggers was modified considerably. And it was admitted that there were among them some decent and high-minded men, although most of them still were regarded as selfish stealers of public funds. And
12: youngies. Youngies. The youngies.
6: Yeah. It, it goes on uh, from there, but some interesting insights as usual from, from Du Bois. And that was uh, the uh, 1935 uh, Black Reconstruction.
0: All right. Uh, once again, I want to open it up to our callers if you have any questions or comments. And if you want to join the conversation, we're at 515-605-9814. Press 1 on your keypad to let us know that you have a question or comment. 515-605-9814. All right. Our callers? Karen? I have Ellen, comments. Mark? There you go. Yeah, I
7: just think yeah, that hate is, is hate real. real. Um. um because um, um, Harriet Tubman, Harriet Tubman I snores, I snores, you know, that's you know, the whole argument. hate anyone that helps us. hate anyone that aids us. they hate anyone that you know, gets us to be voters, to be citizens, to be Americans. Um, that's what I'm getting from all of this. So let's speak love because this is ridiculous. Um, so that's my comment. Harriet Tubman has been that girl Um. And He's been seeking uh, the truth. And, you know, <laughs> just you know, yourself, you wouldn't even play these games. That's all I have to say, Max. What a- and, of course, Jesus and Pat.
0: Brother <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, anything? Yeah, I, I still so
8: appreciate that, uh, th- both of those segments, as a matter of fact. Um, I know um, – the general, uh, when she started sounding off there, that that definitely that'll make you think uh, what she just what she just said about us talking about, mm-hmm.
5: us,
8: you know, um, carpet bagging. Though, know, you know, you you start thinking about that word, and I'm deeply appreciative of the etymology and the, the, the unpacking of what we're discussing because really what we're what we're talking about is is it's backlash. Come on, that's right. what I really to exactly. about. Is
2: Back this mm-hmm.
8: backlash, right? All of mm-hmm. that. It's like you got, you got a movement and you got a counter movement. Every time, every time we make a move, uh, there's there's going to be some backlash, and that that was a part of an orchestrated political effort uh, to, as the brother said, uh and, if you will, derail the progress that was in play. Uh, going down there, we know, and I, I, I appreciate somebody just. Uh, I, I think um, our etymologist just threw out the word Friedman's Bill." Hello, somebody. Uh, so a lot of these, a lot of these folks that were coming from the north, um, they were coming down there uh, to participate in this transformation that was going down. Um, the other thing I take exception. Uh, the one thing I should say I take exception to uh, regarding. The, um, the false narrative that was created uh, is, is this idea that somehow or another the only thing that these people were seeking to do was is to benefit economically. Um, my mother taught me a long time ago, when somebody calls you something, it's because that's what they is. And I think um, you know what was going down down there is, is that you know a lot. Now, and there's a lot of things that can be true at the same time. I do believe, and so there's a whole lot of different levels of what was going down, and it's really hard for us to characterize it, you know, with a singular thread. But but definitely, we know that you know as the South was was facing Reconstruction, that there were there were a lot of you know many Democrats, you know, the non. Abolitionists of the time, and and, and even some of the um, so-called Republicans, um, white folks who were in the South, they was they were angling and they were trying to figure out, you know, how to benefit economically down there, and and they resented people coming in from the outside because they felt like it, it would be left for them. Um, but there were there were tons of folks who came from the North to participate in the Freedmen's Bureau and be, become a part of that um, initiative. Uh, that that. That, that dream that was that was being built down there the other thing too is is um, is it just crazy for a person just to to release everything that they have to just you know maybe disconnect from everything that they own or everything that they're currently invested in and just get themselves watch this a carpet bag and just get a couple things and say I'm out. Uh, I'm getting ready to go and do something good for once in my life. Um, I don't. I don't think that um, that's unrealistic to imagine. Uh, we can't necessarily characterize everybody who came down there as being penniless or or being um, you know a person who is dispossessed um, because you know it's quite. Um, I think it's quite um, possible that there's a lot of folks who just abandoned everything that they did have. Uh, to come down there, um, I, you know, I do think that you know, as we think this thing through, uh, when you start thinking about the folks who are who are coming from um, a position of so-called, you know, uh, I'm going to use the term white saviors, um, that that you know, I do question a lot some of that, you know, and we can talk maybe a little bit more about that when we start talking more about the scallywags. Um, but there, there's a lot of folks who. Would stand uh, in position with us Or did stand in position with us at one point But later um, moved uh, Just stepped off their square And ended up being our opposition I'll I'll leave it there for
0: now Um, Yeah, you're very right Um, And those were, as you said, political terms But they were also slurs Much like they used terms
13: like leftist uh,
0: Or Um, Liberals, the libtards Yeah, yeah, the libtards That they call uh, liberals Um, And other phrases It's to demean one's character You know Uh, So even the word Yangi Or Yangi is thieves (laughs) So you're like, you're thieves You're coming down here to steal uh, And take advantage of our Negroes Who is just too stupid And if you don't come down here Then they will be doing what we say And you know, when they're saying that It's not because you know them better It's because you're able to inflict damage on them You can threaten their lives, threaten their children, threaten their home. All these things you've been doing for hundreds of years already And you just wanted to be able to do that without any interruption And damn it, a war came along and caused an interruption So anybody that came down here to try to change and reform the South Was treated with these derogatory terms and Frederick Douglass predicted this in advance. As a matter of fact, there's a, a play out now called uh, Frederick Douglass, An American Prophet. And I want to read a little bit of what he said in 1865 at the proposal to dissolve the uh, American Anti-Slavery Society. Uh, William Lloyd Garrison said we should dissolve it now that enough states have uh, Ratified the 13th Amendment, and Frederick Douglass was like, hold up a minute. But during this speech, he talked about what would happen to the black man uh, after this had been done. He said, they are loyal, talking about uh, the Southerners, while they see 200,000 sable soldiers with glistening bayonets walking in their midst. But let the civil power of the South be restored, and the old prejudices, And hostility to the Negro will revive. I, the very fact that the Negro has been used to defeat this rebellion and strike down the standards of the Confederacy will be a stimulus to all their hatred, to all their malice, and lead them to legislate with greater stringency toward this class than ever before. And that's exactly what happened. Um, they were fine as long as they had those Union soldiers down here or marching up to Texas, talking about it's Juneteenth, y'all, right. to let their slaves go. Right. But the minute the Union soldiers was gone, it was back to business as usual. And since you couldn't do it in the form you had been previously accustomed to do it, you had to find a new way. And that new way was introduced by the Vermontians in 1777 then adopted by the Ohioans and the Alabamians. Uh, and even the uh, Nevadians and the Oregonians yeah. all adopted this along the way, this new way to enslave black people. And that's how we got to where we're at today. So anybody that stood against that, how dare you try to bring liberation to these Negroes? You're a scallywag. You're a, you're a carpetbagger in all the various names. And the scallywags was the one they hated the worst because what they would call them today And what they do call them is race traders, right? Mm -hmm. Race traders. Like, so if you're not down with Trump, you're a race trader, for instance. So that's what they were calling them then, and the Scallywags, who really, uh, they were trying to exploit to a large degree themselves. But at the same time, they also were tired of this type of discrimination, of this type of stress and, and, and violence that they had to live with every single day. So they were also satisfied to a large degree with using the prisons in order to exploit the Negro rather than slavery. Anybody?
2: Yeah. So, you know, going back to what uh, Professor Foner was saying, I want to just flesh out, like, some visuals, and Mark touched on it a little bit. You know, when you talk about, we've seen it in movies, you know, the hobo on the train, you know, the guy with the stick and this little on the end of the stick that represents all of his belongings, and we've seen them in cartoons or in drawings, you know, and then uh, I'm thinking how they were calling them opportunists, but yet we're in, what, the land of opportunity, you know, they didn't come up with any slurs when people sought opportunity going out to San Francisco, someone found some gold out there, everybody seeking opportunity, went out there to go get some gold, you know, and then, I mean, they called them 49ers, but that was only because it was 1849. It was just this big boom, you know? So it's not uncommon for people to go seek out opportunity. You know, people move to certain areas because there's a bigger job market, you know, people came from other countries because there's this newness over here and it's an opportunity to get your stake of something that's already been taken by the Romans or the British, you know, so they've always sought after opportunities, you know, and, you know, just to paint this picture, you know, that they were poor or they were opportunists. But he said and he said those that were just coming for, like, just opportunities, they didn't really give them names. It was the ones who wanted to come down there and help bring about racial equality. That's what the real issue was. It was about the equality. It wasn't about the fact that they were going to seek business. They they didn't want that equality, just like you just broke it down, Max. You broke it down perfectly. And I see we have another hand raised. Uh, 2776, you're now on Abolition Today with Max Parthas, Tag Harmon, and myself. <laughs> Welcome to the show.
12: Hey, thank you. Uh, this is Clarence from San Antonio. Um, there's a book called uh, on YouTube. Uh, videos also by Dr. Joy Deguri, mm-hmm. um, post-traumatic slave syndrome, and sure. like we had the blues in the South, you know, to to like repair our minds and our spirits. And jazz, you know, an optimistic phrase. We 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 are resilient. We are survivors, you know. But I think the way out of slavery is consciousness, and expanding the consciousness, and, and these are some. Uh, wonderful times to be living in because consciousness is like the new frontier.
0: I remember Frederick Douglass said that slaves were expected to sing as well as work. Mm. Uh, and we did do a lot of singing, uh, but there was more than one reason why we did it. Uh, even whistling. Um, because in the kitchens, for instance, when they had house slaves would work in the kitchens, they would have to whistle to prove that they weren't eating the food that they were cooking, that they weren't stealing bits of it to eat, so they would have to whistle in the kitchen. Um, But music has carried us through a lot of things. That's why we're a firm believer here at Adolescent Today uh, in making sure music and poetry is a dominant part of what we're doing. Um, and we're sharing because if you ain't got no music, you ain't got no movement. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it's really just that simple. If people don't feel it in their souls, the mind ain't enough. You got to go for the soul too. And the only thing that's really going to reach that deep is truth. Yes, sir. Uh, thanks for sharing that sentiment, brother. All right. So yeah, there was uh there's so much to be said about what we we're, lear- we're learning here tonight, and that's what we're doing. We're learning out loud. uh this is an educational program, and we want to make these connections. so when you hear and see these things happening today, you know that it's history repeating. It's the same damn thing all over again. Uh, how did uh Mark Twain say it? History may not repeat, but it darn sure rhymes. Right, (laughs) right. It's and as I've said, history is a synonym. It's Mm -hmm. the same crap, smelled differently. Uh, So, our goal is to try to learn from the mistakes of others Mm -hmm. uh, and not repeat them, and build on the things they did correct. Don't just stand on it, plant a flag in it, and say, "You shall not pass." This never changes. You got to add to it. You got to build upon it. And that's why we have an abolitionist movement today, uh, because for 157 years, we didn't have that. Uh, people were trying everything under the sun, and we were like, okay, you know, you're a little right, you're a little right, you're a little right, but guess what you're all missing out of? Mm-hmm. Slavery never ended. And when you don't have that in your mind, you have to fill in the blank somehow about why things are the way they are without considering the idea that this is actually the extension of slavery, or as Brian uh, Stevenson says uh, that slavery didn't wasn't abolished it evolved uh, so this is the evolution of slavery and when you start looking at it, all the puzzle pieces start fitting together very very clearly, and that's the times when you have to discard those things you used to fill in the blanks that didn't really fit uh, now that you have the answer anybody I
2: just want to add to that I mean when we look at the ratification of the 13th Amendment We're talking uh, It passed both houses of Congress On December 6, 1865 It got signed into law On December 18th And the first convict leases Came about January 2nd, 1866 So two weeks later They were already doing convict leasing so that shows a clear intent where they knew how to keep this thing going. And as we, would, as you were talking about earlier, Max, when they were these new states were entering the union, they already knew ahead of time how because these are new states, so they don't have any real economy yet, and they're seeing the great economy that's going on. I mean, we can go all the way back to the 1830s when you had. When we look at the prisons, we can look at uh, what was called the Pennsylvania system, where it was about penitence. A person would go to the penitentiary, and the person would be by himself or herself, you know, sitting in a cell where they just doing penitence throughout the day. And if they were doing any type of work, it was just an individual work. But in the 1950s, the Auburn system came up where they started doing uh congregational work this is where the first factories started developing and so they saw how that was so effective in the north that they uh exported that to the south you know to say hey these 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 uh warehouses that they have working in the system in the prisons in the auburn system is going to work down here in the south and we can take advantage of that And we can use it on the plantation. So now we don't have to end the crops. You know, we have prisons to this very day that have cotton, that have soybean, that have all of the products, tobacco, whatever you want to name, is still on these prisons right to this day. We saw during one of the hurricanes, like half a million dollars worth of cotton crops were destroyed in Texas in the slave state documentary that you were in, Max, along with uh, uh, Curtis Davis, we, you know, when they were showing Angola, you know, with Angola being larger than the island of Manhattan, and you could see all of these cotton fields out there, you know, that this cotton is still being picked to this day. So, it's a clear intent. We can see how everything continues moving forward. Tag?
6: Yeah, and and Speaking to just looking back at how this is cyclical and a lot of these uh, impacts continue, uh, going back to Black Reconstruction, we have another quote this time about the term scallywag. So I'll just read that through. And and uh, at least on this document, it would be page 298, but the, the pages aren't aren't uh, listed in that way, um, so, so that's not necessarily the accurate pages. Here and there, certain leaders appeared among the planters, among the more intelligent of the poor whites, and even among the masses who looked toward political combination and economic alliance with the Negro. Such persons the Southerners called, quote, scallywags, but they were, in fact, that part of the white South who saw a vision of democracy across racial lines and who were willing to build up a labor party in opposition to capitalists and landholders they were therefore especially to be feared and were endlessly reviled uh, and then it goes on from there but just sp- it speaks to situating a, a little further uh what what kind of weight this term of scallywag may have been carrying at that time you know, according to W.E.B. Du Bois. So, Max, I want to ask you a
2: quick question. Uh, And it's really great having a, a linguistic anthropologist here with us, man, to really break down these words. But, so when we think about the scalawag, we're talking this modern term, white allies. So, What is the historical role of the white ally and where do you see them today? Like,
0: is there a connection? Um, Yes. First of all, I want to apologize for the echo that you're hearing. All three of us should be wearing earphones but my studio up until now has been a one-man studio. (laughs) So I've got to go ahead and get the right equipment so that you don't hear this echo anymore. So let's give my apologies for for that. Bear with us for this one episode. The next time around, we'll be all right. Um, Yes, it it is the same as white allies or anti-racist or CRT, Mm -hmm. you know, the boogeyman CRT that's out there. Uh, Anybody that's talking about Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. you know, BLM, uh, ranks up there with what was the other ones, uh, anti-fascist, you know, Antifa. Right. Uh, so those are, I guess, modern day representations of anybody who would dare look for equality or non-whites, specifically brown and black people and red people. Mm-hmm. So if you dare to challenge white supremacy in order to champion uh, just trying to get equality, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like we're trying to get over. We just want, we deserve. How about you protect our rights like you protect your own? Uh, mm-hmm. How about that? How about opening doors uh, without any hindrance? What did Frederick tell us uh, in his speech? Just leave the man alone. Right. If he's going about his day trying to do his thing, just alone. get out his way. And right. let, it, let us do what we need to do. Why do you got to stand in our way every time? Is there a reason anybody can explain why we've never had a black governor's ball? Like, why is that? Mm-hmm. You know why? Why don't we have enough black governors to have a damn ball? <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm just saying it's an action that they're doing. They're actively trying to stand in their way. They're actively hunting in our communities. They're actively trying to destroy any uh, upward mobility that we may gain, and then highlighting just a few who have made it, but to, who pretty much towed the line. You know, mm-hmm. and saying look. Anybody can do it. He did it. She did it. You could be Oprah next, (laughs) you know, but they're not giving us Oprah opportunities. Right. Um, How many black physicists do you know? How many uh, uh, black architects do you know? We need more of those. We need more people uh, able to get into these industries and professions that we're being blocked from. Uh, I was watching a physics conference just the other day here with TAG. And that's one of the things that we couldn't help but not see, but but see, is that it was all white people. Like, is there no black physicists? Like, where you at? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or is you just not giving them a chance to speak on these issues or be heard? What is it? And we know what the answer to that is. The people who are traditionally the most oppressed are also the most silenced. That's part of the oppression. You don't never hear their voices. They're not invited to uh, the ball, even though they're the ones that the slipper fits. Uh, So they don't get to go and play in the reindeer games with everybody else. That's what white supremacy is all about.
7: Yeah, Matt? (laughs) Man,
2: you're such a lyricist, man. (laughs) I didn't know you were going to make that Cinderella reference. You caught me off guard with that one. I think, uh, I'm sorry, Tag, I think uh, Corinne wanted to jump in with the statement.
7: Yeah, you know, I always tell all black women out there that it's important for us to be loquacious, and because, you know, for so many years, we have been silent. you know, even if they roll their eyes, like, oh, my God, like you guys showed white women who was um, <laughs> complaining about a black woman with a great behind. Um, there's nothing worse than that. You know, she said something in that effect. But, yeah, you know, we've been silenced for so many years, and we have a mind. Oh, for racist. So,
5: yeah, racist.
7: Let's yeah. talk. So um, I recommend all black women particularly to be loquacious. And you know what? Because it was illegal for us to be loquacious in front of white women, um, I recommend, I highly recommend for us to be loquacious in front of white women um, because that was against the law, but now it's lawful. So let us do it.
2: For sure.
6: Tag? Yeah, yeah. I I definitely uh, align with what I'm hearing. And it, it, all, it all just points toward the, the urgency of the, the current, uh, you know, as, as uh, it says, uh, situation that, that we find ourselves in in, in in many ways. But, you know, heads seem to be uh, rising to the challenges out here, and, and that's, that's wild and encouraging. So,
2: Max, a question. When we have these type of situations and we know what's going on, there's always a solution, and you're a solutionist. So I'm sure you have some idea of a solution to dealing with situations
0: like this. I am solution-oriented, but I'm not trying to solve the world's problems. But there is- There is one thing that I thought was brilliant, and that comes from the Republic of New Africa, where they talked about the five-state solution. And what they meant by that was there's five states in the South that already already have a very large black population, 25%, 35%, so on. I believe it was Alabama, Louisiana, South Carolina, uh, Mississippi, and Georgia. Yeah, and Georgia. Those five states all have large black populations. And most of us, uh, of the 47 million African Americans that the census says we have here in the United States, we're caught in states like Vermont, where black women don't even represent enough to have a percentage point uh, there. Uh, Or in places like Rhode Island, where there's only like 6% black people, in New Jersey, where it's like 9%, New York, where it's like 15 or 14% black people. Uh, We are at a voter minority. You can't really get your rights your interests represented, you're still dependent on a white majority to be able to be sympathetic with your plight enough to bring your issues to the table because you don't have the voting power at all. Mm -hmm. But for instance, look at South Carolina. South Carolina's got like 3 million people. If a million black people moved to South Carolina, we would run everything uh, by sheer voting power. Just a million people, a million black people, 47 million moved to South Carolina we would have more than 50% of the vote. Mind yeah, that, <laughs> lose their minds down there. Yeah, lose their minds. It means that we would control the police, we'd control the budget, we'd control politics, we'd have our interests on the table with security, knowing that there's somebody and people there that represent us. Because it must be real good, like these MAGA uh, worshipers feel, mm-hmm. to think that somebody in office actually uh, has your best interest at heart. That right. they're for you. Um, it must be real good to feel like the police that are in your uh, community are for you, because where we come from, the police have never been our friend. They've always been seen as the enemy. We've never said welcome to the neighborhood, Mr. Policeman. Nice to see you. It's always, i coming. Right. <laughs> here come twelve. You better get up out of here. It don't matter if you've done anything because we all got damn warrants.
5: <laughs>
0: you know. And we act like we got warrants, whether we got them or not. You have to assume you got a warrant for something you didn't even know about. That's how we have to go about our lives. So the five-state solution, I think, is something that we could easily do. I've done it. Yusuf has done it. Many people in the South have done it. They're still doing it. Pack up your stuff. Get the hell out of Dodge where you are not being represented and replant your family to help add those numbers uh, in voting power. So that you have control of your own destiny, we're looking for uh, the opportunity to be uh, to have self determination. Well, that's where it starts, right? Where you get the where your vote actually counts, and for once they have to cater to your behind. <laughs> and you've got to be the one. Wakanda forever. Sitting there, say that again, bro. I said Wakanda forever.
12: <laughs> <laughs> or at
0: least a week or two.
12: <laughs> I, I got myself my arms Brilliant, man. That's brilliant, Max. We should move to one
0: state, pick a state, and and dominate it and make it our own. I think that as I said, it, it just take a million for South Carolina, and we've got forty seven million.
8: It's brilliant. It's going to take something else, though, too, though, Max, because um, obviously, like we when we were talking about this earlier in the week, because we know. We can't we can't really uh deal in monoliths and that's just panacea, you know, because all kin folks you know, they ain't necessary ain't necessarily skin folks. Um, and um and I think that um you know, when you say black people and white people, um, the lines get blurred, um, for many reasons and on different levels. And I I know a lot of black people that I hope don't come
0: down there. You know, we're only talking about a little bit more than 50%. We're not talking about not having, like, 40% of white still here. Uh, If you want to say European descent, African descent, you want to say diasporas versus colonizers. However you want to identify them, we're simply talking about having a voting majority. And we know that about close to 90% of black people vote Democrat at this time. Um, But I think that we are more interested in voting our interests, than any party affiliation, mm-hmm. right. and if we had the opportunity to be in charge, uh, be the ones in control of politics, and the ones that uh, others have to appeal to in order to get their interests uh, addressed, I think that we would take an op- that advantage of that opportunity.
12: Well, we need to think about think, uh, food, shelter, security. Also, we need to be exactly. trying to, try to provide for ourselves the the education, the the uh, the, the hospitals everything mm-hmm. needs to be black we need to take care of ourselves and needs to be some kind of plan like um uh the uh what was his name um well excuse me now but he has he has a plan for for black people coming up and and we need to follow that you know
2: but so we have both Marcus garvey elijah Muhammad they've all had the plans, but it's not just about moving like all of this comes along with it it's not just the mere fact of just moving to a location. I mean, right. we know that the fundamental right of U.S. citizenship is the ability to vote. And that's what that's really where it comes about, because things come about by voting, you know, where we have a political block. You know, most places where we live, the African-American black community does not have that political block like many other communities do, whether it's the Hispanic community, Asian community, They have political blocks in their areas. So this is really what it is about. Yes, we know all of the other things are important to get into, but it's about coming there to where you can just have this political block. But we can always continue this conversation in the future. We want to get into this next track. It's called Firing Line with William F. Buckley, Jr. It's the Republic of New Africa, 1968, and it's followed by Sleeping with the Enemy, Paris.
0: Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. Abolition.
14: Oh, this is William F. Buckley, Jr. The guest this week on Firing Line is Mr. Milton Henry, and the subject is black separatism in America. Join us if you can. <laughs> Milton Henry is the president of the Republic of New Africa, a group of dissident American Negroes who desire to carve out a new country within what we now know as the United States. Specifically, they have designs on Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. The question is unresolved whether to include Florida, there being those who believe that to claim it too would be exceeded. But Henry is from Philadelphia a graduate of the Yale Law School who served six years in the Detroit City Council, ran for Congress, but was beaten by another Negro, Mr. John Conyers, in a race which he believed to have been stacked against. In his background, his middle class and his 11 brothers and sisters, he admits, were trained to be, quote, good Americans. His point is that they did not know then what he has come to know, that as a matter of right and as a matter of practicality, the Negroes in America must separate and carve out their own country. A recent poll conducted by the Columbia Broadcasting System puts at approximately 6% the American Negroes who desire such a separation. Even so, that is over one million people, and in any case, Mr. Henry has plans for vastly increasing their number, which plans we will discuss here. But I'd like to begin by asking Mr. Henry why he has forsaken the idea of a truly integrated society.
1: Now I'm finna get scandalous, huh? And tell y'all about a
9: brain disease. I act up as a shame disease. Nigga, please, you still don't act right. Up, wait a minute, let me get my facts right. When I say that we all don't act the same, just a handful wanna salt the game. So I gotta roll deep. check your grip and don't smile hard as concrete. Damn shame, but it's like that. Cause some got hard heads like bricks that don't crack. Raised up on TV. Fast food and fast time do or die cheap. Without nothing to lose but a war. and here, like, don't mean shit. To Every brother ain't no brother. Come on, yeah. Every brother ain't no brother. Bleed it. Every brother ain't no brother. Selling your soul, don't sell your soul, man. Yo. Perfect brother ain't no brother. He got my back and I got yours. The reporter looks just like me or you But that don't mean the man was coolly understood When I said that it was death to integrate Cause integrate means assimilate But the media hate the youth Love to spread lies and distort the truth They say the pen is stronger than the sword But the sword to give any house nigga is just reward So let the beat just roll on <laughs> While the weak get hold on I'm P-dog. telling you the actual fact is just cause the skin is black Don't mean shit It ain't about us coming up to them It's about us gunning up It's a shame but no strain on the brain to see, it's blank. Some are sleeping with the enemy. Come on!
1: Yeah! Yeah! Huh, huh, huh! Yeah. Knocked out, what's it all about? Gotta give a shout to the few that's never selling out P Dog, I never slip a slide, I never fall along so as long as in control. I know I'm born to be a martyr huh? And I'ma keep on rapping with the fact that I keep on smashing shit, no props, cause it doesn't really matter about the color of the cop. and now I hate police, so I won't stop See the punk
9: bitch get mad huh? I ain't the one for a toe tag You best believe when you see me on the street i be a motherfucker ready for the static with a clock automatic So let me tell you why I hate pigs The black gestapo, Ultimate house nigga simply because the brother wanna be with a plan that want to kill off in case a black man ain't never running from the usa funk landed a weak free coma the slave and i ain't calling the clearance because the appearance is clear to me some punks are sleeping with the enemy abolition
0: abolition abolition, today abolition. 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 Abolition.
2: Abolition. He users heard firing line with william f buckley jr the republic of new africa 1968 and that was followed by classic hip-hop artist paris with his track sleeping with the enemy So,
0: Max, I want to pass it to you first. All right. Um, Yeah, man, that was the point right there. Uh Uh, Paris pretty much hit the nail on the head. Integration wasn't necessarily something that saved us, right? uh, you know, and we do need our rights respected. And it doesn't seem like we're going to get that. It's the whole reason an organization like Black Lives Matter exists because you still got to explain that black lives matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here we are in a nation that has more black men behind bars and in cages than the top five populated African nations do combined, and they've got nearly double our total population. There's almost 600 million Africans in those five top populated uh, nations, and we still have more black men behind bars than they do combined, and we only make up, what, 6%? of the population as black men here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there is certainly a race issue. There's certainly a systemic race issue. But when we talk about, you know, maybe trying to empower ourselves by using the systems that are set up for that purpose, we often get looked at as some kind of nut job. But we were just watching today about this village in Florida, with like a few hundred thousand people and it's 99% white. Uh, 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 basically for 55 and up In Florida 99% white people And the rest is Asian
5: mm-hmm.
0: And they, they, they were showing the images Nothing but white people They're talking about how happy they are They make sure that they let the right people in And who's the right people So you got these places like this Everywhere Vermont is 98% white Come on man mm-hmm. Nobody's complaining about that So all we want to do is exercise our thought tie. We want to exercise our thought. You got to respect our thought. Tank. And the best way to do that is something that you don't need permission for. I think it's a brilliant idea. Just if you're in a bad situation in the north, put your stuff in that carpet bag and come on down to the south. You can mm-hmm. do you can do bad here too. <laughs> you know, but at least you get the vote. Are <laughs> right, you brothers want to say anything?
6: Yeah, absolutely, and given all of what we have been pouring over for all of these minutes on end and you know just historically and intergenerationally this this system causes mad harms we we recognize that we know that just last year in october the u.s was found guilty on all charges of genocide out here so especially if we're talking about Approaches to how we can move forward and link uh, in terms of resistance uh, moving forward. One approach that uh, the campaign that called that tribunal uh, spirit of Mandela is approaching. It's called the People's Senate. So uh, we're we're talking about the the five state plan. Uh, fully not uh, unrelatedly and very much another um, related approach of how we can outside of what this system maps out for us, uh, approach some some new approaches that are, uh, or, or move forward on new approaches that have as little to do with this system as it's currently established as possible.
0: I just think it takes a lot of damn balls for somebody who is dominant in a culture to be in a place where there's just about all, all the faces look like yours, to tell us we're divisive for wanting something similar, I, I just don't understand that. You're,
2: you're absolutely right. Uh, I want to give our callers one last chance. You know, any final comment? You know, keep it as brief as possible. We we'll pass it to. Uh, let's start with uh, two seven seven six.
12: Yes, sir. I think yes, sir. I think you're on the right on the right. On the right, uh, right uh, Frame of, frame of thought. I, I hope that I, I we can go back to Africa and practice Ma'at and agree to practice Ma'at, the truth, justice, righteousness, order, balance, harmony, reciprocity, mm-hmm. and reciprocity mm-hmm. and the forty two mm-hmm. Afro Mexicans as a as a basis for uh our, our civilization that we're gonna rebuild. And that it's not a religion, it's just a code of how to live. I
2: thank you for that information. Can you tell us your name one more time? It's Clarence. Clarence. Yeah, my okay. name is
12: Cla- Clarence in Texas, right?
6: Yeah, that's
12: Clarence. San Antonio, yes, sir. Okay. Thanks for calling in. He's
6: Uh
2: Mark? Yeah, I'll just
8: take a couple of seconds and just let y'all know how much I appreciate y'all. I'm going to have to hop off, but, um, you know, <laughs> this has been a great, great um, show. Thanks a whole lot, Um I'm, you know, I'm reflecting on some of this, and I know we've often said here we just need our own stuff, you know. And, and there's many complexities, and we never, never want to forget the fact that this thing ain't broke; it's working exactly the way they built it. Uh, so we have to build our own. Uh, we got to figure some stuff out. We'll, we, I think, the struggle continues. It's, it is not hopelessness. It is not helplessness. Yeah. The struggle continues. Uh, we are, we are pushing forward. We are moving ahead. Uh, we're we're getting it done every day. It's just the fact that we exist as African Americans in this nation today is a miracle by itself because we live in power uh, today. Uh, so, you know, blessings to all of y'all. This is great work. You know, I'm so proud to be affiliated with, with y'all over at uh, Cuffee and also with uh, Abolition Today and, and, and in particular the Abolish Slavery National Network. Somebody ought to just shout. Uh, because there's something going on here, and we're going to turn this thing upside down. Let's keep marching.
0: Thank you, Brother Mark. Uh, much appreciated. Let's go real quick to uh, Sister Karen, and then we got like three callers who have something they want to add to. So, Sister Karen.
7: Yeah, it's about the row and it's about the land. And as a black woman, I just say, you know, bring the black men home, because I think it's important for our children to see that um, the black men love the black women and oh and the black women love the black men or musical yeah. terms daddy loves mommy mommy loves daddy so I think it's time for our children to see that so it's about the vote and it's about the land um, that makes you a citizen that makes you an American and the black man and the black woman are Americans shout out to the abolition today
2: alright thank you so much for that Corinne uh, let's go to 2161 one. we'll go to you first
13: Is that me? Yeah, that's you. 2161. Greetings, abolitionists.
2: Hey, What's hey. What's going on? Scotty Reed.
13: What's happening with you all? I, I've been enjoying the show, man. Um, it prompted me to call in. Y'all touched on several things. Um, the first thing I want to touch on when Max was saying, you know, integration, um, you know, it didn't work. Um, but he said, you know, people are supposed to respect our rights and what have you. But you know what? We also have to respect our rights. We had to claim those rights, you know. And what I've been seeing on the local level since I've been active on the local level, it's always, it's always only about 15, 20 abolitionists you can count on. I'm calling them abolitionists. They may not call themselves abolitionists, but they're being educated on the system of slavery that still exists. You know, uh, the Confederate monument is there because the Confederacy didn't lose the South, all right? Uh, the Civil War resulted in, in a stalemate, basically, while they won the war militarily the North They, they conceded, slay, you know, slavery in a different form uh, to the South to bring them back into the Union. And, you know, Max, you had educated me that even during that period of of uh, abolitionist activity in the 1800s, mid-1800s, and, you know, that was only 5% of the people, you know. And, and so, you know, when it comes to talking about making a world where there is justice being practiced, You know, some people say equality and justice, but if you got justice, you already got everybody being treated equal, you know? And and, and so we will then have reached that plateau, man. I feel like if we just had 25% of the people, look what the 5% of the abolitionists were able to do. They were actually able to free people from bondage on private plants and, and what have you, um, So, but right now, Max, I ask you, what's the abolitionist percentage of the population in the U.S. today, do you
0: think?
13: We did a poll
0: last year, and last year it was determined that 18% of the nation was aware that there is an exception clause in the Constitution. Uh, So that's just people that know about it last year. I'd like to think that this year we're up to more about 25%. As far as how adults? many of that 25% is abolitionists, I would say maybe 2%,
13: 3%. Wow. That low, Max, you think? Um, of the total I, population? I would agree. I, I, I would yeah. agree. That would jive with what I'm seeing here locally with the local issues that we've been experiencing with slave catchers murdering, you know, uh, people in the streets as they continue to do. And always have done, right. and you know people that's now the last thing I want to ask a question. You know, I was thinking, some of us, man, I was listening to another podcast, and this person hey, Scotty, was talking about. Scotty, if you don't about... mind
0: keeping it brief, because we only got a couple minutes left before we got to cut okay. to the next segment. Go ahead. Do
13: you do you think subservience and passivity might be bred into the DNA of some of some of us, and that might explain those low percentages of. Of, of peop, abolitionists or actionists, people that's actually oh. willing to front the system, and, and I'll take it off air. Thank you. Uh, that is a, a,
0: something that many say is it. there are things that we carry in our DNA after hundreds of years of oppression, but I think that the main reason for it is because of 24 7 programming and indoctrination, generational indoctrination. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is None of us were expected to escape from this None of us were expected to wake up from this So it's a miracle that we have this many right now 24-7, 365 programming by white supremacy Uh, I grew up in an era like you did, Scotty Reed Where we didn't even have black people represented on television When we were children at all Uh, So I think that's the real reason right there All right, let's go ahead and bring in our next caller Um, We don't have any left
2: We got it right here no, they already spoke. Oh, they
0: already spoke.
2: Yeah, all of them already spoke. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, bad. yeah, it's all good. We yeah, that was uh, Scotty. Oh,
0: that was Scotty. Okay. Yeah,
2: seven hundred and four was Scotty. So, uh, brother Tag, you know, we want to start off our last little round? Is there any uh, information you want to give the people?
6: I would just uh, return back to the spirit of Mandela campaign was mentioning before. Uh, you could find out more information about that at spiritofmandela.org. Also, tribunal2021.com, still all of the footage from uh, that particular tribunal in October of last year. And as always, it's just, you know, uh, wild grounding to be here, at, you know, on Abolition Today, and even furthermore here at the Paul Cuffie Abolitionist Center, you know, and just... Tremendous shout to what y'all are all doing here, and, um, you know, we just continue to move forth uh, along those lines. So just I want to salute to all of y'all involved, fully, fully, much appreciated.
0: Thank you, brother. Um, I want to say thanks to all of our callers, listeners, and supporters. Uh, there wouldn't be no us without you. Um, appreciative, very appreciative of my brothers here making history with me today. Uh, you said long time coming, but you finally got here, right? Hey, finally. And as I said, please forgive us for the echo. We don't have the equipment that we need, but we will get it uh, with your help, too, of course. Um, please check us out at abolitiontoday.org, the archives of fabulous resources for teaching, uh, where you learn things like you learn today. Uh, also, join the uh, fight at abolishslavery.us. Uh, Get on the mailing list and look at the information that we have available for you there. Uh, Also, you want to make sure you subscribe because it matters. So subscribe to us at YouTube, um, youtube.com slash abolition today. Click like and follow at our Facebook page, Abolition Today, and stay up to date. So until next week, uh, peace. Here you go.
2: For sure. While bridging the gap, we have something really special. So this is entitled Clotel or the president's daughter, an audio book by William Wells Brown, 1884 to 18, 1814 to 1884 is a novel by William Wells Brown, a fugitive from slavery and abolitionist, and was published in London, England in December 1853. It is often considered to be the first African American novel. This novel focuses on the difficult lives of mulattoes in America, and the degraded and immoral condition of the relation of master and slave in the USA. It is about the tragic lives of Kerr, Althesia, and Clotel. In the novel, Kerr is the former mulatto mistress of President Thomas Jefferson, who together have two daughters, Althesia and Clotel. Because she was beautiful and the mistress of Jefferson, Carra and her daughters lived a comfortable life. This changed when her master passes away. In the end, Kerr and Althesia are auctioned to the notorious slave trader, Dick Walker. The hotel is bought by her lover, Horatio Green. The separation of these three women is just the beginning of the injustices they face. It gained notoriety among the unconfirmed rumors regarding Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings. Brown was still considered someone else's legal property, within the borders of the United States at the time of its publication. It is considered to be the first novel written by an African-American. Brown used the injustices of slavery to demonstrate the destructive efforts it had on the African-American family. Most significantly, the so-called tragic mulatto. Brown had escaped from slavery in Kentucky while still in his youth and became active on the anti-slavery circuit. So, In closing, we want you to listen to, and our Bridging the Gap tonight, is going to be Chapter 10, and that's going to be followed up by Fake Messiah by Michael Patrick Kelly. We'll be back, God willing, next week, Sunday, August 7th, will be the first episode in Black August, and we'll come back with another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week, thank you, Brother Tag. Thank you, Brother Max, all of our callers. It was a tremendous pleasure and an honor to be part of this history this evening of broadcasting live from the Paul Cuffee Abolitionist Center. Peace and God bless to everyone.
0: Peace. Abolition. 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 Abolition.
15: What was the effect upon their minds? They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. Stimulated by the confident expectation that Jesus would fulfill his gracious promise, they poured out their hearts in fervent supplications, probably for strength to do the work which he had appointed them unto, for they felt that without him they could do nothing, and they consecrated themselves on the altar of God to the great and glorious enterprise of preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ to a lost and perishing world. Have we less precious promises in the scriptures of truth? May we not claim of our God the blessing promised unto those who consider the poor, The God will preserve them and keep them alive, and they shall be blessed upon the earth? Does not the language, inasmuch as ye did it, unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye did it unto me, belong to all who are rightly engaged in endeavoring to unloose the bondman's fetters? Shall we not then do as the apostles did? Shall we not, in view of the two million of heathen in our very midst, in the view of the souls that are going down in an almost unbroken phalanx to utter perdition, continue in prayer and supplication that God will grant us the supplies of the Spirit to prepare for us that work which he has given us to do? Shall not the wail of the mother as she surrenders her only child to the grasp of the ruthless kidnapper, or the traitor in human blood animate our devotions? Shall not the manifold crimes and horrors of slavery excite more ardent outpourings at the throne of grace, to grant repentance to our guilty country, and permit us to aid in preparing the way for the glorious second advent of the Messiah, by preaching deliverance to the captives, and the opening of the prison doors to those who are bound? Georgiana had succeeded in riveting the attention of Carlton during her conversation, and as she was finishing her last sentence, she observed the silent tear stealing down the cheek of the newly born child of God. At this juncture, her father entered, and Carlton left the room. "'Dear Papa,' said Georgiana, "'will you grant me one favor, or, rather, make me a promise?' "'I can't tell, my dear, till I know what it is,' replied Mr. Peck. "'If it is a reasonable request, I will comply with your wish,' continued he. "'I hope, my dear,' "'answered she, "'that Papa would not think me capable "'of making an unreasonable request. "'Well, well,' returned he, "'tell me what it is. "'I hope,' said she, "'that in your future conversation with Mr. Carlton "'on the subject of slavery, "'you will not speak of the Bible as sustaining it.' "'Why, Georgiana, my dear, you are mad, ain't you?' "'exclaimed he in an excited tone. "'The poor girl remained silent. "'The father saw in a moment that he had spoken too sharply, "'and taking her hand in his, he said, "'He said, Now, my dear child, why do you make that request? Because, returned she, I think he is on the stool of repentance if he has not already been received among the elect. He, you know, was bordering upon infidelity, and if the Bible sanctions slavery, then he will naturally enough say that it is not from God. For the argument from internal evidence is not only refuted, but actually turned against the Bible. If the Bible sanctions slavery, then it misrepresents the character of God nothing would be more dangerous to the soul of a young convert than to satisfy him that the scriptures favored such a system of sin. Don't you suppose that I understand the scriptures better than you? I have been in the world longer. Yes, said she, you have been in the world longer and amongst slaveholders so long that you do not regard it in the same light that those do who have not become so familiar with its everyday scenes as you. I once heard you say that you were opposed to the institution when you first came to the South. Yes, answered he. I did not know so much about it then. With great deference to you, Papa, replied Georgiana, I don't think that the Bible sanctions slavery. The Old Testament contains the explicit condemnation of it. He that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his band, he shall surely be put to death. And, Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work when also the New Testament exhibits such words of rebuke as these. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them who have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. The law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. A more scathing denunciation of the sin in question is surely to be found on record in no other book. I am afraid, continued the daughter, that the acts of the professed friends of Christianity in the South do more to spread infidelity than the writings of all the atheists which have ever been published. The infidel watches the religious world, he surveys the church, and lo, thousands and tens of thousands of her accredited members actually hold slaves members in good and regular standing fellowship throughout christendom except by a few anti-slavery churches generally despised as ultra and radical reduce their fellow men to the condition of chattels and by force keep them in that state of degradation bishops ministers elders and deacons are engaged in this awful business and do not consider their conduct as at all inconsistent with the precepts of either the old or new testaments moreover those ministers and churches who do not themselves hold slaves very generally defend the conduct of those who do, and accord to them a fair Christian character, and in the way of business frequently take mortgages and levy executions on the bodies of their fellow men, and in some cases, of their fellow Christians. Now is it a wonder that infidels beholding the practice and listening to the theory of professing Christians should conclude that the Bible inculcates a morality not inconsistent with chattelizing human beings? And must not this conclusion be strengthened when they hear ministers of talent and learning declare that the bible does sanction slaveholding and that it ought not to be made a disciplinable offense in churches and must not all doubt be dissipated when one of the most learned professors in our theological seminaries asserts the bible recognizes that the relation may still exist salva fide et salva ecclesia without injury to the christian faith or church and that only the abuse of it is the essential and fundamental wrong Are not infidels bound to believe that these professors, ministers, and churches understand their own Bible, and that, consequently, notwithstanding solitary passages which appear to condemn slaveholding, the Bible sanctions it? When nothing can be further from the truth. And as for Christ, his whole life was a living testimony against slavery and all that it inculcates. When he designed to do us good, he took upon himself the form of a servant. He took a station at the bottom of society. He voluntarily identified himself with the poor and the despised. The warning voices of Jeremiah and Ezekiel were raised in olden time against sin. Let us not forget what followed. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Ye have not hearkened unto me in proclaiming liberty every one to his brother, and every one to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you, saith the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine. Are we not virtually as a nation adopting the same impious language? and are we not exposed to the same tremendous judgments? Shall we not, in view of those things, use every laudable means to awaken our beloved country from the slumbers of death, and baptize all our efforts with tears and with prayers that God may bless them? Then, should our labor fail to accomplish the end for which we pray, we shall stand acquitted at the bar of Jehovah, and although we may share in the national calamities which await unrepented sins, yet that blessed approval will be ours. Well done, good and faithful servants. "'Enter ye into the joy of your Lord.' "'My dear Georgiana,' said Mr. Peck, "'I must be permitted to entertain my own views on this subject "'and to exercise my own judgment.' "'Believe me, dear Papa,' she replied, "'I would not be understood as wishing to teach you "'or to dictate to you in the least, "'but only grant my request not to allude to the Bible "'as sanctioning slavery when speaking with Mr. Carlton.' "'Well,' returned he, "'I will comply with your wish.' "'The young Christian had indeed accomplished a noble work, and whether it was admitted by the father or not, she was his superior and his teacher. Georgiana had viewed the right to enjoy perfect liberty as one of those inherent and inalienable rights which pertain to the whole human race, and of which they can never be divested, except by an act of gross injustice. And no one was more able than herself to impress those views upon the hearts of all with whom she came in contact. Modest and self-possessed, with a voice of great sweetness and a most winning manner, she could, with the greatest ease to herself, engage their attention. End of chapter 10
5: Your fake messiah